0: Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.
1: What is a close encounter of the third kind? How do we know what UFOs really are? How can we know the true intentions of those behind them? Well, welcome to the 371st broadcast of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Uh, I'm Paul. Uh, ben is with me here today, but he's recovering from oral surgery and really can't talk very well, so we're gonna, he's going to be our moral support today. Anyway, uh, we have a very special international guest this evening who has been doing some research on close encounters. But first, it is time for our weekly paranormal contest. Last week's question was, in what country would you find the Mahamba? Well, Lauren Popovich of Worcester, Massachusetts, got that one right. uh, The People's Republic of the Congo. Mahamba is a cryptid, uh, or a cryptozoological critter, uh, uncategorized, rumored to lurk in and around the Lake Lakuala Swamp region. It is supposed to be an enormous crocodile reaching lengths of up to 50 feet, something I would not want to meet. Some have speculated that it is a freshwater relic of the Mosasaurs, huge sea-dwelling creatures presumed extinct by the end of the Cretaceous period. Well, anyway, this week's question is, what famous British diplomat vanished into thin air, seemingly anyway, in 1809? Be the first to get that right and win a copy of Faces at the Window, a book about uh, my earliest paranormal cases. Now, we do welcome callers this evening. Our phone numbers locally or from Canada, 401-766-1240, or from anywhere in the USA, 800-449-1240. Now to our guest. Tony Eccles has been a member of the British UFO Research Association, otherwise known as BUFORA. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Yeah,
0: that's
1: right. And an accredited investigator since 1993. His primary research interest is the close encounter of the third and fourth kinds, As an ethnographer, uh, ethnography is essentially a study of culture and what's behind it, Tony's work explores the role of close encounter witnesses in a modern world and the deeply rooted need in Western society for a connection with a higher intelligence. Previously, Tony was also one of the co-founders of the Merseyside Anomalies Research Association, or M.A.R.A., in 1997. Uh, Merseyside has to do with the River Mersey, uh, which runs through uh, Liverpool and Manchester in Northwest England. I, I have to give these these New Englanders a geography lesson here, Tony. I guess uh, his book, A Different Sky, was published in 2003, and documents reported strange sightings and experiences from the Merseyside region over a 10-year period. Okay, currently Tony is curator of ethnography at the Royal Albert Memorial Museum in Exeter in Devon. His website is Anthony Eccles, that's Anthony spelled normally E-C-C-L-E-S dot wordpress dot com. It's also a blog, it's very interesting too, you should check it out. So Tony Eccles, welcome to Behind the Paranormal.
0: Thank you very much, it's lovely to be on there.
1: Very good. Uh, Let's start right at the beginning. What are close encounters of the third and fourth kinds?
0: Uh, That's a really good question. How can you put such a specific definition on something you cannot prove to exist? Uh, Basically, a close encounter is a very unusual experience that happens close up, let's put it this way. It's not a strange life that happens in the distance. It's not seeing um, um, a very strange monster-like being in the distance. All of this is close up, albeit whether it's 5, 10 feet away or 20 feet away. Um, It is about having a very profound experience with something that comes from out there. And I think that's about as simplistic an explanation as I can offer. Because what I don't want to do then is to sort of add on to that the belief about where UFOs come from or, or where the beings come from.
1: Very wise. I, I was struck by the word uh, anamnesis in the name of a project you now head for Bufora. Mm. Now that's a Greek word for a very special kind of memory and I learned it in the seminary as a very weighty theological term. Mm. So what is the anamnesis project and how does it fit into your
0: work? Well <clears throat> Uh, Anamnesis as you know means life memory and it, it allows us to look at close encounter witnesses very differently. We, we don't look at people as if they're guinea pigs and you know you look at the history of ufology and a lot of UFO researchers in the past have spoken to witnesses and really have studied what they have seen. It's the reports of the UFO sighting that has been studied but very few people have actually looked at the UFO witness and have actually studied them and I don't mean in a sort of laboratory condition, I mean talking to people and allowing people to talk about themselves and, and maybe see if they feel that there is any profound meaning to their experiences or because or, or, everything's rather subjective in this sense and so for a UFO witness uh, as you can imagine they will see something that's very unusual, and it will have a very strange effect on them. It will enact some form of change. It could be positive, it could be negative. It could give them meaning. They could feel special, they could feel different. So what I try to do is I, I sit down and I make them feel comfortable, and I ask them lots and lots of questions. It's a very different situation. It's not like getting out a tape measure. And trying to get specific measurements to try and measure a phenomenon you can't really as you know you can't really do it that way it's very unrealistic and so one of the best ways I think of doing it is just a rather honest approach of being able to sit down with an individual and say okay look tell me tell me what's happened to you and now tell me about what you were like as a kid what about your family what do you do for a job What is it you really want to do in life? What are your dreams and aspirations? And that is actually quite important because we realize from from all of these interviews, the narratives that witnesses produce tend to present three set um, ideas. And one of them is um, there is a significant level of people who are dissatisfied with their circumstances in life. They haven't really achieved their potential in life. They're stuck. They have a UFO sighting, and their life begins to change. Secondly, um, a lot of UFO witnesses in this category also report having dreams about UFOs or even flying, which I tend to feel is is also relevant. And then thirdly, the, the final sort of clue here is that a number of these witnesses also report a high level of ESP either in the form of telepathy or precognitive dreams hmm. um, so there is a type of person that clearly here they tend to be creative individuals and this is not a research project that addresses sanity, it's not about that at all because the majority of people I speak to are very normal um Seemingly mundane individuals, certainly their jobs are normal, Everything else is normal, apart from the experiences that they have. And they're reluctant somewhat, as you know. People tend to be reluctant to go to the newspapers or tell their friends. They become very shy about it. They get suspicious if they do. Well, and this is it, you see. And then people question. Um, why, why are you telling us about this UFO site and what do you gain out of this? Is it, uh, is, do you get some money out of this, perhaps? Um, and it's, it's nothing to do that. You just want to validate your experience. And of course, the one thing I'm unable to do as a UFO researcher is validate people's experiences, but they want to know how real their experiences are. And you can imagine how frustrating it must be for people to have these experiences and then to turn around and find out that it's not part of our consensus reality. In other words, it's not part of our day-to-day lives. Hmm. So, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Jones down the road have not seen a flying saucer or has not seen a flying saucer with beings come out of it and of anything. The only, the only way they've seen that sort of thing is in a, a science fiction film of they read it in a book. So this is a a very, very unusual, profound phenomenon, the close encounter. And I think, really, it's worthy of academic study. You know, we've had psychologists look at human behavior and, you know, we've had people who have studied the brain and biology, and we know how the brain works. And we can see how the chemicals in our brain work. We know what happens when people go into a trance state. The science is there to explain it, but what it cannot do is talk about and explain why people have these experiences, and also the meaning behind those experiences as well. Because actually, animism for me actually ties into another subject, which is shamanism.
1: Oh, that's funny. I was just about to bring that up.
0: Ah, <laughs> now now you see the links already. There there are quite important links here with people in in, in Western society who live on the fringe. Of normal society. And and I say normal in inverted commas because we're all normal. But for people who have these experiences, they they don't feel normal. And often they feel isolated. And so they're on the fringes of our society. And one idea I had was perhaps these people, perhaps these individuals have a purpose in our society. Perhaps they do have a very positive function. Perhaps they are like shamans of our time if not shamans perhaps they're having shamanic experiences and perhaps these shamanic experiences have something to do with healing now that's that's stating the obvious when it comes to shamanism but i think when people encounter um what they term alien beings and we look at the encounters that they have and compare that to the experiences reported by shamans who were in touch with their spirits, they are given visions of the future. They are not only just given the power to heal, but um, they have a very strong communication and they send back important messages for the community. And, you know, if you have a look at um, the way the close encounter has evolved over the years, you know, the 40s, 50s, 60s, contactees and close encounter witnesses, I've always had messages about the dangers of nuclear warfare. And then from the 70s onwards, it's been the dangers about destroying the environment. So it tends to be that whatever this intelligence is, albeit likely human or perhaps it's another intelligence, I have no idea, but this intelligence allows the individual to reflect. On something that is within our subconscious, and and perhaps this touches on to Carl Jung and the archetypes, the the symbols that lie deep in our in our minds. Maybe that's got something to do with it. So really, anamnesis touches upon this. Um, it might sound a bit airy fairy for for some people, um, but bearing in mind that I am not out there trying to measure a flying saucer or to try and find physical proof because I, I think in some cases that sort of research is a bit like a dog chasing its own tail you're forever trying to find evidence proof becomes non-existence uh, non existent sorry and and evidence well there are snippets of evidence that show a solid reality to ufos but then you know the, the, there is this paradox with the ufo phenomena and uh Sometimes it seems physically real, and other times it doesn't. And so for me, the important part of looking at the UFO phenomenon is actually through the UFO witnesses. And I think that UFO researchers need to pay them a little bit more respect and treat them. I mean, a lot of UFO researchers do, but, you know, we sometimes forget that whilst we're in, whilst we're looking for the, the Holy Grail, so to speak. We need to remember that the most important people behind the experiences are these witnesses. That's very and that's well put. that's also supported on Amnesis. Thank you.
1: certainly is. And I can certainly echo that. Ben and I can certainly echo that as, as people who have researched. Uh, well, I've been doing this for 42 years, primarily yeah. uh, starting with the quote-unquote ghost research and things of this kind. Yeah. But the parallels yes. have been astounding. Uh, we spend years on cases, and lately, uh, even before that it 's been leading to Gray 's and the alien experience on the part of the same witnesses, which is quite interesting mm-hmm. and mu- much of the, many of the characteristics you 've described certainly apply now uh, Tony th- this gets down to the question of really the nature of human consciousness. These experiences, many people will say, well, suppose there... And, of course, there are hallucinogens in human history that that may enter into some of this. Uh, I, myself, worked in psychiatric hospitals during the 1970s as a graduate student and as a seminary student. And the question arose, are these people having real experiences, even though those experiences are internal? Are they contacting worlds that really exist, even though it seems to be coming from inside themselves? Uh, or are they imagining the whole thing, or is it the result of some sort of chemical imbalance? And I think that this is a question that when anyone addresses this academically or in any other way should be addressed. Mm-hmm.
0: What do you say? Well, I, I don't agree that people are just imagining. I, th- I think the experience is it ties in with our ability to be able to tap into something that's within the brain. Mm. I don't think it's um, I don't think it's imagination. I don't think it's something that's just made up for the sake of it being made up. We don't. I, I personally feel that we don't need to go into uh, we don't need to go into a space shuttle to go into the depths of space to find extraterrestrial life. I think there's something within our minds that allows us to make a communication with this other. And I'm not saying this other is, is alien. I mean, it's alien in the sense that it might not be human, but in many ways, and I'm, being, I'm, I'm just turning back on myself here, it, no, seems I very much, it, it, it seems very much human in origin as well. In fact, the way I see the experience is very much, it's like it's an attempt at communicating with a modern god. It's not the god... appears to other cultures but because we're in a very technological world perhaps our God today has taken a technological form but I you know I I think that what people have and you know you you look at the, the paranormal phenomena as well there are very strong parallels there to say look a lot of this stuff is happening but not in a physical capacity so what is happening and sometimes you know you have multiple witnesses and I don't think we can have multiple hallucinations, can we? And in fact, they've actually worked wow. on, on. Is that possible? Do you think?
1: Well, there, there was, uh, in, when I was studying psychology, there were terms such as mass hysteria and, and this sort mm-hmm. of thing. And uh, there seems to be, well, of course, this gets into the nature of what is, what is consciousness, what is our perception. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, Carl Jung and Jung's idea of the collective unconscious, you know, perhaps several yeah. people tying into the collective unconscious to the same experience at the same time. And therefore having the, a common experience, but but no, I, I agree with you that, that these experiences, mean, for everything I've seen, these experiences are are, are very real, yeah. although the sources are not. And you know, I get very frustrated as as I suspect that you might by our assumptions. As you say, we live in a technological society. As a matter of fact, we're drunk with technology. Everything is, is viewed in terms of technology. When people refer to advanced civilizations, the assumption is they, the more gadgets you have, the more advanced you are. Whereas <laughs> right. I, would far rather, I would much rather deal with a civilization that lives in huts but has, has intellectual and spiritual and moral advancement than I yeah. would with a bunch a, bu- a bunch of cowboys and UFOs, so <laughs> you know you see the point. So um, yes. the the idea here is is also that uh, there is speculation about the nature of of UFOs, and uh, but 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 your your emphasis on the witness is extremely important. I think. Can you give us some examples? of people you have interviewed and and people you have studied the phenomenon with uh and what their experience has been what kind of people they were and what your ultimate conclusions were if
0: you had any oh crazy yes um there was a lady i interviewed two years ago um and um, you don't mind if i don't mention
1: no uh, not the at the all no no please, like, please That's don't okay, we don't you. want to get sued <laughs>
0: Well, no, it's just that, you know, as, as researchers, we, we respect people's privacy. Absolutely, so as do we. This, this lady had a number of UFO sightings just prior to her gaining, getting cancer. And she's, 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 she's received a medication, but she hasn't, she hasn't got rid of it. The cancer's come back. And she has blamed the UFO sighting for the cancer. I found it a rather upsetting interview. She's a she's a beautiful woman, and she has um, she has never really accomplished the things that she she wanted to in life. In a very academic life, she had children at a very young age, and her children don't want anything to do with her because they had actually seen the UFOs with her. Yeah. Um, so they were actually scared of the experiences. Um, I mean, that, that is a one-off, because normally the witnesses I speak to have very positive experiences. And, in fact, I wonder if the UFO sighting acts as like an agent of change for the individual. For example, a good friend of mine, Keith, um, he works in Spain now in a hotel, but when I was younger, he worked for a local governments. And that can be very stressful for anyone who works (laughs) in local government knows, you You know. know.
1: Try this side of the Atlantic.
0: Yeah, yeah, continued cuts, you know. um, It's tough, isn't it? And um, he ended up, um, he survived a car crash. And he suffered depression. He was on Prozac. Um, He didn't receive any counseling. He tried to go back to work he didn't enjoy it whatsoever so he changed departments in fact he, he started working in the mail room and he wasn't happy whatsoever and then one night um, he was walking his dog and this is in 1994 in uh, a place called Allerton um, in Liverpool uh, where I was born and he was walking the dog late at night and as he walked down the road uh, walking along Moston Avenue, he saw a bright red light just above the roof of a neighbor's house. And he stared at that light. Now, the dog was rummaging around in someone's garden, so the dog was totally, seemed to be oblivious to the light. But he was staring at this He like was transfixed by it, and he described it as bright but organic. Um... And then he looked down at the dog because it was in someone else's garden. And as he looked up again, the light had gone. Now, I mean, there was nothing to that, that sighting. It was just a bright ball of light. There were no beings. There was no communication, um, nothing. And he stayed to see if the light would come back, and it hadn't. But from that moment on, his life changed because he started he decided he wanted to do physiotherapy so he decided to get it. he wanted to um get his knees working again so he did tai chi and that helped him along now he's on prozac now um prozac i believe prohibits hallucination does it not
1: um, yes, well it depends on the it. person but generally yes
0: well I mean, he's
1: it's an quite, antipsychotic, I mean drug
0: yeah yeah, I mean, basically, he just had a level of depression and, and anxiety, um but he soon came out of that, and his life became quite positive because it came at a point in time where he decided to um announced to his family and friends that he wasn't heterosexual, but he was gay. Uh, he wanted to change jobs, and he did. He became um, a travel rep, and he moved abroad in his life. He, he became a happier person since that UFO sighting. And going through the, the, the set of questions, when I, I interviewed him back then, and ken phillips who was one of the original founders of this uh, project was actually interested in this particular experience because he wondered if this this ufo sighting was like a key to healing for the individual um but obviously it played a a big part in in changing this person's life that's amazing um yeah it, it's quite interesting um And then, um, years later, I interviewed a gentleman called Robert Shaw, that's not his real name, uh, but it's known as the Robert Shaw case, and this is just outside Manchester. And it was Christmas Eve, um, and looking outside the windows of his, of his flat, he saw these beautiful red lights in a sideways W, just descending slowly in the sky, and they seem to land in um, a patch of wild land just outside. And he's curious enough to go outside. But when he walked outside to that field, he felt scared. And he didn't want to go forward anymore. So he went back inside the flat. And he doesn't remember the rest of that evening. In fact, he doesn't remember speaking to his sister, Um, who spoke to him um, around midnight, and she said, you sounded very distant, you just didn't seem like yourself, didn't remember speaking to her on the phone. Um, But the next morning he went out with a neighbour, because he was scared, to have a look, and he saw some uh, some of the trees had appeared to be burnt, Um, some of the land had appeared to be affected, But um, I got this case eight months later, and that's, of course, no good to any UFO investigator. You get a UFO case, you need to be able to look at it there and then. And as you know, that's quite a difficult thing to do.
1: Yes.
0: However, I interviewed him. Now, he was hypnotized by another investigator, not by myself, because I refuse. And I don't believe in hypnosis as an effective tool for uh, memory recall. But well, I've got the transcript, and I I actually addressed this issue with him later. And he said, "You know what, Tony?" He said, "I don't believe anything that came out in hypnosis. It just didn't feel right." And you know the same thing. Do you remember Elsie Okinson's sighting in 1978 in in uh, I think it's Nottingham in England? Um, she had she was driving in, She was driving in her car. She saw these lights on the road. Then she was in darkness. Um, after that, she was hypnotized, and from her hypnotism, um, she recalled an event that just didn't make any sense. As it turns out, she became a healer, which I find very, very interesting. And going back to this gentleman in Manchester, he told me now oh, that that doesn't make any sense, and he started drawing. Now, remember me saying that? And these these individuals tend to be creative; they're artists, poets, maybe uh, musicians. He started drawing, and he was quite an accomplished artist. And he drew these greys, because at the time we had the X-Files we were bombarded and the TV was saturated with that image. And he said, you know, that's, that's not relevant whatsoever. And then he drew this column, and it was a fragmented column with branches coming out of it. And then he drew these little greys, which were at the base of the column, but they were very tiny. And he said that column is actually important. I don't know what it means, but it's important. Over the next five, six months, his life changed. He was a postman, and he left that job behind, and he went on to do something else. He left an unhappy relationship and got got a different flat. His life. Changed, and, and that's not a coincidence because if I go to the original statistics given by the original founders of the Anamnesis Project, this is Dr. Alex Kuhl of Salzburg University and the late Ken Phillips, who's a, a British researcher. To all the questions now, just to explain this for people who don't know anything about Anamnesis, and it's quite an obscure have you heard of the Anamnesis Project at all? Oh, well, yes. You have. Hmm. ah Now, you see, when I speak to people here about anamnesis, people are not really familiar with it. And that's that's quite interesting. Um, anamnesis used three groups of people um, to get data, relevant data. You had um, a group of 15 UFO witnesses. And then we had, as well, a group of 15 people who had ghostly apparitional psychic phenomena reported them and that was gained through the ASAP group here in Britain and then there was also a control group and you know this idea that witnesses are fantasy prone the actual people who produced the more fantasy prone narratives was the control group of people huh. not the UFO witnesses and not the ESP group and one particular category um was the category entitled change in life after observation. Now in the control group this wasn't relevant. In the ESP group um, four people out of the 15 actually stated that they reported a significant change in their lives after their experiences. With the UFO group there are 10 out of the 15 and that is quite a significant um, Indeed
1: it is. Actually, we we have to take a commercial break, Uh, but we'll be right back. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240 AM and ONWorldwide.com in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We'll be right back with our guest, Tony Eccles. Stay with us.
0: ON Radio, ON Worldwide.
1: Hi, I'm Margaret Moussaka. I listen to Memory Lane every Sunday 1 to 4 on WOON 1240. Tune in to the Memory Lane Show. More music from the 50s and 60s. And we remind you of Amazon Kindle and Amazon.com. Amazon Kindle, of course, being the e-reading device that's the most popular one, and certainly in America and probably around the world as well, uh, as low as $79, you can get as many as 2 million to 3 million books, newspapers, various publications, including for my own, which of course are Rhode Island, a genial history for those of... I'm particularly interested in the paranormal, (laughs) and uh, Faces at the Window, Footsteps in the Attic, and my latest Turning Home, God, Ghosts, and Human Destiny. And the higher end, of course, being the Amazon Kindle Fire, which came out last November. It's a terrific gift, and uh, 199 I believe, is the price, and it's full color. You can also, in addition to the publications, get applications, games, and all sorts of films, and you name it, and you can get it. Uh, Now, I always drag our poor guest into this. Tony, is your book available on Amazon Kindle?
0: it is it's quite an old book i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna rewrite it and um and 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 take it to the british ufo research association website i think there are a few copies left um and my book a different sky just briefly is um it's it's written very simply um i didn't want to write anything complicated because the publisher told me not to write it that way It's a very simple book, and it just talks about the UFO sightings I investigated in the Mergeside area from 1994 through to 2002.
1: Excellent. A Different Sky, folks, by Anthony... Is it Anthony Eccles or Tony Eccles on the byline? It's Tony Eccles. Tony Eccles. Okay, there you go, folks. Amazon Kindle. Check it out. Okay, we are back with our guest live, Tony Eccles, who is a UFO researcher and ethnographer from... Uh, Exeter, in Devon, in England, um, one of my favorite places in the world, certainly. And uh, I wanted to ask you, Tony, you, you've given us um, a lot to think about, a lot to chew on this evening, but I wanted to ask about, uh, well, let, let me let me give you something that happened to me, and you can sort of maybe take it and, and uh, interpret it or whatever, according to your, your work. Uh, the Phoenix Lights, as they are known, in Phoenix, Arizona here, are... Well known and were seen starting in the 1990s by hundreds and hundreds of people, including the governor of the state of Arizona, who later came clean and said that he was profoundly moved by it. Many of the people who have seen these lights have had as you say, almost healing experiences or profound experiences of, of, of other kinds. I myself am a witness to the lights. Ben and I happened um, to be flying to San Diego to do a program uh, in 06, and I happened, it was middle of the night. Everybody was asleep except me. I happened to look out, and there they were. And uh, I'm the only one, as far as I know, who has reported seeing them from an airplane. But in any case, because we got to uh, San Diego and the next day the newspaper said people had seen the Phoenix Lights. But I didn't have any particularly moving experience. there are those who are called the, the uh, I might call them the exopoliticians those who believe these are essentially good, they're here for our benefit, and would be particularly interested in the shamanic experience and the, what, it, what it is inside us that makes us respond positively to these things and become healers at times and things you've described. Others don't quite trust it. Uh, I, den- I tend to take that phenomenon with a pillar of salt, if you will, and I- I'm a bit skeptical about the positive nature of at least some of these things and I'm thinking about the abduction experience Mm. uh, which of course does parallel many of the shamanic experiences as well being taken by the spirits and having operations and and, and odd things going on and even uh, people who've had experiences even with with, uh, what we call fairies or things of this kind, all these experiences seem to be similar uh, depending on their context. So what would you say about the the more negative aspect of this have you dealt with people who have had uh, negative experiences and have not become healers or have been harmed by by these things in your opinion
0: well well but but you you raised a number of really good points there paul um i think i need to stress that the experience really relies on how a person interprets their experience perception plays a big part of this um you know, even even in shamanic experiences, uh, the initial experience can be terrifying, and can even be sexual. Um, and I know, you know, through reading a lot of close encounter narratives, that, that there is a lot, there is a, a sexual nature to some of the experiences, negative and frightening. You know, um, that does happen. Um, fortunately, the people I've spoken to, that very few of them have had these negative experiences. One chap from Liverpool who, uh, who lived in uh, in Chilwell, Barrie, um, a really nice chap, but because his family um, were members of um, a Christian sect, I'll leave it at that, he had it in the, the back of his mind that any such experiences that lay outside the church was evil
1: yeah we run into that all the time
0: yeah and it's unfortunate because that's how you interpret it you've the experience is bound to be a negative one for you then because if that's what you're expecting it to be then it's going to become negative um a lady who approached me recently a very intelligent woman um with a background in psychology had um lived in melanesia for a while. Uh, because her parents were missionaries and she approached me and asked me if I could validate her experiences but she remembers being in a dark room with these beings which were just uh, just out of sight but they were staring at her um, and they surrounded her but they were looking at her and I, and I wondered if this may have been something that related to possibly, and I'm not saying it's solely explained by but I think it's part of a hypnagogic experience um, but certainly she has that memory and she had other things that she she didn't tell me about and I said well look I said I, I can't validate your experience for you but what I can say is that I'm not here to take anything away from you or to say that your experience isn't real it's just that when we have an experience it a becomes personal and secondly, I'd like to think that there's a reason why we have these experiences. We could take a philosophical viewpoint and say perhaps we can learn from them. Perhaps it's about um, our souls, because it, it, you know you remember Whitney Scott talking about um, these graves, talking about the souls of the dead. They have fascination with our soul, mm-hmm. and showing one of the witnesses. I think his dead brother. I was at a lecture, one of Whitley's, Whitley's l- lectures back in the 90s when he came to Britain. And I found that fascinating. And, you know, I'm, I'm wondering, is this something that's, is this something that relates to the dead? And and again, that takes you back to shamanism. So I think there is a bridge there. But if we look at it from an occult point of view, there are people who believe that these are simply Demons, evil entities, and they smell sulphur when these things appear, like the Man in Black. Um, and the Man in Black is a figure that occurs in the rich narratives of the 15th, 16th century in this country and in, in the, the east coast of the USA. Um, and of course, you know this, this black figure is associated with the devil. That's just an interpretation, albeit a Christian one, and it may not be, it may not have any roots in in truth. In in um, the I, I hope I don't offend listeners. I'm sure some of your listeners are, are devout Christians, and, and they may have a, a particularly strong point of view, and that's fair enough. And I say that's fine. Well, our listeners are our
1: listeners are pretty open-minded.
0: I'm sure they are, but I'm not here to disrespect anybody's opinion. Everyone. No, we appreciate opinion. that. Yeah. Um, but I think that what I'd like to say is, if, if people have an active experience, I think we have baggage. That we bring into the experience with us. Oh, very it's true. Predominant, it's, it's predominantly a cultural
1: one. Oddly, we find, and this is a bit off subject, but we, we, have, I've done a lot of research myself. Uh, given my early seminary background in yeah. what is commonly known as possession and exorcism, you know, and I ah. was never, it was an experience I really don't want to repeat, and I would interpret it differently today than I would then. Uh, however, it's, um, you know, it, it, it points up that that just as you say that the attitude of the witness and the baggage the witness brings to it really almost makes it what it is Mm. you know and and, uh i i just you've you've created so much food for thought here that i'm thinking of so many aspects of this including uh as we said the shamanic experience the uh and, and of course the question arises what is really behind it all there has been some speculation that uh, answers to vast cosmic questions are literally written into our DNA, and that as a, yeah. s- as a species that is yeah. s- uh, still developing, these experiences help us to receive those messages. The question is, who put them there? Of course, you know God or whatever you want to, uh, perhaps another civilization. Who knows? But what what do you think is the the ultimate goal of all this?
0: I think it's part of our evolutionary development mm. as human beings on this wonderful world.
1: But it is being That's guided. That's
0: personal opinion. Sorry? But,
1: but it is being guided,
0: obviously, even from well, the past. Yeah, it it, it, it it is. In a way, um, I suppose one analogy I like to bring into this is the way people invent items. You have several people in the world who are inventing the same item, but only one of them actually gets to create and copyright the invention but other people have the same idea around the world so we are clearly seen to be linked in to one another's minds so i wonder if these experiences are actually part of our evolutionary development and so to help us as as humans get from a to b to c there is something like an intelligence that guides us now if that's like a god principle I, i don't know i absolutely have no way of proving that and i don't know if if we're able to prove it maybe on this occasion we need to just take it on a basis of faith and i have no problem with that because at the end of the day if i listen to the narrative of the witness it's down to the witness who says this has happened to me and i think it's this and that's fair enough i can't say well i I disagree with you or "I, i can prove that it's not it's not really. It's, it's how the witness can take it forward and move on from their experience and benefit from it. Because I think that if you have a UFO experience and it changes your life, then you're empowered to make it change your life for the better. If you can, do that. However, if someone has a very negative experience, you're going to be living a life of fear. That's not really good. So what do I say to that individual? Um, I need to thank like Dr. David Gottlieb. Um, I, I was in touch with him recently, and he sent me um, the bulletin of anomalous phenomena, all all the issues. Mm-hmm. And uh, you did originally; it was called Ratchet. And um, I think it's a brilliant thing to read. I mean, I'm, I'm collecting as many archive journals as possible because they're so difficult to get hold of on the internet. It seems like <laughs> it's just impossible. Um, and I think these are really useful journals for witnesses to read just because you're able to look at them and say, ah, someone else has had that experience. I'm not alone. And very true. That's really important.
1: Very, very true. I'm going to stop here for just, just a minute, uh, Tony, because I want to give you a chance to talk, because we'll get talking we'll run out of time. <laughs> I
0: can just go on, Paul, I'm sorry.
1: No, 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 I'm, I, so can I. <laughs> uh, the, the listeners will tell you that. So uh, what I wanted to do was give you a chance to talk about A Different Sky, your website, and, of course, the uh, Bufora Conference, which is occurring in London on September 22nd, the very same day. We're giving a talk on the other side, of well, not the other side, but in farther east in, in uh, Woodbridge. So uh, that was not intentional. Had we known, we would have tried to schedule another day. But, so tell us about, about all that and where people can find out more about you.
0: Okay. Um, if you go to the Bufora website, which is www.bufora.com, u k, you will find all the details with regard to the conference um, it's the 22nd 23rd of September at the Holiday Inn in London so it's the King's Cross Road um, so it's central London and we have got some amazing speakers um, Lionel Beer our president will be giving a, a talk it's anecdotal about the history because it's our 50th Um, 50 years, our anniversary conference. So we have been going for 50 years. That's fantastic achievement. It's amazing. And we've we've invited lots of different people uh, to come down and talk. Um, So we have Heather Dixon, who's going to be talking about um, developing an understanding into the reality behind the myths of the UFO sighting. Uh, John Spencer will be talking about the political, cultural, and social influences on UFOs. Then Jenny Randall's, via video link, is mm-hmm. going to be talking about three particular UFO sightings that changed the way we looked at UFO investigations. That's going to be very, very interesting. Sounds fascinating. Um, the Reverend Lionel Fanthorpe will be there, and he's going to be talking about... Beh- what well, he says, uh, when honest and reliable witnesses report strange aerial phenomena and other weird things... What might be causing them? Do reports of UFOs sometimes overlap strangely with more traditional reports of the paranormal? Klaas Swan is one of our international speakers from Sweden. He's going to be talking about ghost rockets. I've not heard a speaker talk about ghost rockets. I've
1: never heard a presentation on those from from northern Scandinavia.
0: Well... He's going to be talking about recent film footage of um, a contemporary ghost rocket sighting in really? Sweden. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, very interesting. So we're going to be seeing footage of that. And then we have a Spanish speaker, uh, Vicente Juan balester Almos from Valencia in Spain. I have to ask you and to spell that. Yeah, he's going to be talking about the Photocat database, which is um, a ufological tool for the present and the, fu- and the future. Um, he's actually got over 9,500 recorded cases on that database. So that's going to be a very useful tool. Uh, John Hansen will be talking about um, his uh, the books that he's just published, um, <clears throat> and also on Randall Forest And uh, Richard Conway, who is our scientist, um, he's going to be talking about ufology and pseudoscience. Never the twain shall meet. And then we have a special talk by Jeff Faller. So obviously this is happening Saturday and Sunday. He's going to be talking about UFOs that interfere with your car. <laughs> interference reports.
1: It's the only explanation for
0: my car. Well, is it an old car?
1: Uh, uh, too old, yes.
0: Yeah, that's what mine's like as well. Um, um, I'll be a guest speaker there talking about uh, anamnesis. Um, and then we'll, we'll be having some... Um, Uh, Dave Newton, who's an astronomer, talking about some of the latest developments uh, with NASA. Outstanding. So it's going to be a really, really fun packed weekend and slightly different.
1: Okay, very good. Well, I must say, uh, Will, all we can say is, um, well, let me ask you this. Uh, Of course, you know, 90% of our audience does not live in the UK, so is there any way for them to access any of the events by Internet or later by DVD?
0: Yes, certainly. Um, What we'll be doing is we're going to be filming each of the talks, and we'll make them available. We'll either put them onto DVD or we'll put them onto our website. I can't say how it's going to happen for definite yet. We've tried to do this process with last year's conference and we had some teething with with some technical issues. Um, We hope to overcome them um, for this year's conference. I mean, what we could do is just put them onto YouTube. Um, but we we 've yet to see how we're going to do that, so yes, okay. we will make them available for, for the american okay. audience
1: well, let us know when and where and we'll give it some uh give it some press right Thank you. and also just uh if if so if you 're not in London those days and if you happen to be uh in East Anglia or in eastern England, then take you know check out our event, which is september twenty second far less uh, uh ambitious than the Bufour conference but we 're speaking in uh, we'll, we'll we'll give you the uh, the information and the announcements uh, coming up, but in any case, we do encourage you to uh, to attend the before a conference if you can one way or the other now, as uh, we 're coming down to the end of the hour here, uh, of course, Tony, but I, I did want to ask a, a question that is probably on the minds of many of our listeners, and that is a rather simple one, but the answer is not simple: How do you tell the difference in your work between someone who is has had a legitimate experience or encounter? And someone who's just schizophrenic, because that's a complicated question. What is the nature of schizophrenia? You know, you, you know what I'm getting at. So, how so, would you uh, how would you answer that?
0: Uh, well, I am not uh, a mental health specialist, and is I mean, I I have actually had that happen to me, where I had a member of the public call me on the phone. They were very anxious. They were being visited by ghosts. We were insulting them, assaulting them, all day, all night, except when they were doing a crossword. <laughs> now, yeah. I have interviewed many people, with, like yourself, with UFO sightings and with ghost cases, poltergeist, EVP, that sort of thing. But this just stood out like a sore thumb, and I knew there was something different. Just by the way this person was speaking to me, just in their manner. And so what I did was I contacted um, a, a psychologist who was also a parapsychologist at the local university. And they came with me to talk to this gentleman. And so we both spoke to him, treated them normally. Um, but actually, my colleague said, actually, sir, I need to inform you, you, you're suffering with schizophrenia. And the witness was frightened because he thought we're going to lock him up. Mm-hmm. And we said, no, 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 no. That's not what's going to happen. You're going to be okay. We're here to help you. But that's not something I can do because I'm not a mental health specialist. I'm just fortunate because I I work with them. And and if if I have those issues, I can approach them. But what I tend to do is I I tend to listen to an individual. And I can tell through the narrative if something's different. And it's simple as that. I don't diagnose because I'm not qualified to diagnose. Right. Same here. Because... I'm not qualified to do any of that. But if I think something's wrong, then taking responsibility means that the witness's health comes first. And you need to advise the witness to see a medical specialist. Or if they're looking to do that because they are ill, then I need to speak to someone who's better qualified than myself.
1: Well, that's uh, certainly something that that we do as well. Uh, The problem is... From our point of view, we we have serious problems with Western epistemology, uh, with with the way that we claim to know things and the assumptions that we make. One of the problems with our educational system is the very fact of specialization. People become so specialized, they aren't even liberally educated anymore. I don't know about in the U.K., but here it's a problem. People do not have a larger or broader perspective uh, which I think limits our ability to deal with phenomena that don't particularly fit our paradigm. Right. And uh, so, but nevertheless, what is the alternative? I mean, I find that with, with, with uh, the medical profession. I find it with clergy. I find it with scientists in general. And it's, 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 it's extremely it's frustrating.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because I, I what, think in that case, in, in that case, the, the, the likes of Dr. David Gottlip, who who is a medical professional, who wants to get people to speak to witnesses to show that they're not suffering from a form of neuroses um, that is an important step forward yes. it's like what John Keel said in Operation uh, in Operation um, what's the name of his book The Mothman um, Prophecies uh, and yes it's um, bear with me um, basically what John Keel said is that you know, the people who need to look at this phenomena are not kids and they're not housewives. You need to get the professionals in. And, and as you said, you know, professionals in, in, in the States don't want to look at this phenomena. Um, but the likes of David Gottlieb, who is a medical professional, who is interested, like the late John Mack, you know, they see something there that's, that's, that's very profound about the witness's experience. And really, we need to contact those individuals, those the, that small group of academics who are willing to put their their jobs on the line, really, to stand up and say, look, I know this sounds crazy, but there is something here that's worth exploring.
1: Well, there we are. Tony Eccles, everyone. We're just about out of time. Tony, it's been a fascinating conversation. We'll be in touch off the air, and hopefully we can uh, meet up next month in Exeter.
0: Thanks for the opportunity, Paul. brilliant.
1: That was wonderful to have you. Thank you so much. All right. Okay. Tony Eccles. There we go. Uh, we, and I will do the announcements here because, uh, as I say, Ben is with us. He's just not uh, quite up to snuff here with his uh, situation <laughs> the oral surgery. Anyway, I don't mean to laugh. I'm sorry. Uh, the next stop on our tour of public appearances and town hall-style meetings is, as we mentioned to... Uh, Uh, Our friend uh, uh, Tony here just now. Woodbridge, Suffolk, England on Saturday, September 22nd. We will present our program, Exploring the Paranormal, with CBS Radio's Paul and Ben Eno at the Grove House Hotel in Woodbridge from 7 to 11 p.m. Tickets are 15 pounds per person and will include a full buffet dinner courtesy of the hotel. Profits will go to local charities. Uh, and in response to a question or two, I think we probably will take that uh, for inclusion uh, on YouTube or in a DVD for those of you, uh, the, the the 99% of you who can't be there. Uh, this event will take place in the highly active paranormal area, which was the scene of the famous Rendlesham Forest UFO incidents of 1980. Okay. For information and to buy tickets, visit www.spaceportuk.com slash events or just go to the the BehindTheParanormal.com show website and look for the link uh, uh, under What's New. Uh, Finally, uh, Ben and I will be featured speakers at the All Hallows' Eve Psychic Fair at the Crown Plaza Hotel in Warwick, Rhode Island on Sunday, October 28th. Watch for more information on those events at BehindTheParanormal.com. And again, at BehindTheParanormal.com, you can get information on guests, past, present, and future. And over almost, I think just about 400 free podcasts now of shows of ours done over the last five years on ON here, on uh, CBS, and elsewhere. So many thanks to our producer, Ben himself, who was uh, uh, soldiered on through the broadcast at our board. And we'll see you next Monday, August 20th, right here on ON1240AM on 1240 AM and ONWorldwide.com when Ben and I will host a rebroadcast of our 2009 show with the late Joe Ferrier, 1960s UFO expert and WON radio personality, much beloved. Uh, we hope this will help honor Joe's memory. On our regular CBS radio edition on Sunday, August 19th in Boston, Pittsburgh, Detroit, and Seattle, we'll welcome British out-of-the-body experience expert Graham Nichols to talk about how to deal with OBEs, a phenomenon that many people are quite afraid of. And we'll leave you with this evening with a quote from that dear old leprechaun, George Bernard Shaw. If history repeats itself and the unexpected always happens, how incapable must man be of learning from experience, unquote. We'll see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167
0: hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.